Issues Etc. is listener-supported. We rely on you for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Now, if you appreciate Issues Etc., please consider making a tax-deductible gift today. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for your support. Stanza 3 of the Holy Week hymn, No Tramp of Soldiers, Marching Feet, sung by the choirs of St. John Lutheran Church in Fraser, Michigan. Listen to those words. The soldiers mock, the rabble cries, the streets with tumult ring, as Pilate to the mob replies, Behold, behold your king. We're going to be talking about the trials of Jesus during this Wednesday of Holy Week. We're going to talk about Jesus before the Sanhedrin. That's one kind of trial. Jesus before Pilate, of course, that's the trial that brings him the death sentence. There's a trial in there, tucked in there, a brief trial, if you can call it, before Herod, the Jewish king. What role do these trials of Jesus, beyond their legal necessity for getting Jesus on the cross, beyond the religious necessity of the theological rationale for putting him to death for blasphemy, what role do these trials play in Jesus as he affects our redemption in his suffering and death. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Holy Wednesday. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller will be our guest as we talk about the trials of Jesus for the first hour, and then in the second hour, Pastor Will Whedon will join us. We'll talk about the liturgy of Good Friday in advance of the Church's celebration of that day. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is a regular guest. He's pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, co-host of a weekly radio talk show called Table Talk Radio. He's general editor of Around the Word Journal. Brian, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. These trials have a theological necessity, at least in the in the minds of the Sanhedrin. They need to establish a charge of blasphemy for their own reasons, uh, a legal necessity in terms of you can't put a man on a cross without the 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 order of the Roman authority, what role do they play in our redemption? That's a fantastic question. In fact, that's the kind of—I think you've thought about that question, and so I'm kind of curious to what you think about it. But let me take a stab at it first. Uh, there, I mean, the obvious answer is that Jesus, uh, to be our Savior, has to end up on the cross. He, he has to die— uh, suffer God's wrath for the sins of the world. So Jesus has to has to get there to the cross, and uh, um, and his trials are the mechanism that gets there. His betrayal by Judas and the trials that last through the night uh, are 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 what end with Jesus on the cross. But there's something there's something even more I think, and that is that when when Jesus is dying on the cross, he is providing himself as the witness and the defense for sinners, so that he will, um, at his ascension, carry his blood into the, into the heavenly courtroom 
and offer it as testimony for us and for our righteousness, so that we can be declared legally by God in his own heavenly court as innocent. And it's, and it's a profound, profound thing to consider that Jesus will be the defendant on earth and falsely accused and, 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 uh, and falsely trialed and, and falsely uh, damned, condemned, and put to death. He'll, he'll suffer that as the defendant so that he can be our accuser and our witness in heaven. So the, so the exact opposite of what's happening on earth is happening in heaven, and that's our great comfort, this great heavenly trial and court where we're declared innocent. Um, I love that explanation. I'm, it's, it's actually different than the one I was thinking about. Let me bounce it off of you, but I think yours is, is better. But let me bounce this one off of you, Brian. I mean, there are some reasons why he undergoes the trial. I mean, it's pretty obvious from some of the gospel writing that we'll get into here that he's, the gospel writers want him declared innocent. They want him proven innocent even though he's found guilty, but they want him to be manifestly innocent going to the cross. They also want him to be acknowledged as the king of the Jews. There's no doubt about that. That's the final verdict of, of, uh, of Pilate. You're killing your king. But those are the false trials that lead to the true trial, which is the cross, before the ultimate jurisdiction. I think here's where our two ideas dovetail. The, the cross is the trial before God. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and so when, uh, and that's especially seen really three days later when the death of Jesus is vindicated, when the Father says, uh, I, I accept this sacrifice on, on behalf of, uh, of all the world. But perhaps, and, and, and maybe we're pushing towards this and a little bit too soon, we want to talk about the trial of Jesus, but, but it's on the cross that, that the Father is forsaken, and so, G- so that God the Father is going to go along with the condemnation of the Jews. And he, the, the, the entire world, the disciples of Jesus are going to reject him. Uh, uh, Pilate is going to have him beaten and, and walloped, even though he, he decides that he's innocent. The, 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 the Jews of the Sanhedrin and all the crowds are going to call for his innocence, but that God himself, is, the Father, is going to jump in and say, yeah, uh, here's all the condemnation of the world as well. So that, so that in a way, God is going to go along with this accusation and, and blast Jesus as the greatest of sinners even though, and we know this from the text, he's absolutely innocent. And they can't even, I mean, these trials are really a mockery. Uh, they're almost a joke, and you, and you watch them unfold, and you, in some ways, you, you know, at just at any moment, all Jesus has to do is say a single thing, and it's going to be over. I mean, he's there before the Sanhedrin, and he's not answering. All, he, he just has to say one word of defense, and, the, and their whole thing would fall to, sh- to, to, to bits. And the same thing before Pilate or before Herod. All Jesus would have had to do is just, is just to open his mouth and say one simple word of defense, and, and this trial would have ended, but he doesn't. He's absolutely silent, because he knows himself that he has to end up on the cross, that he has to be condemned. Now, a couple things here, and we'll get into the details in just a minute. Um, this is, if it's nothing else, it's Jesus submitting himself to what will come at the end of these trials, isn't it? Yeah, well, yes, exactly. I mean, it's, this is, uh, it, there's all the, um, when we consider the passion of our Lord, we, we'll talk about things like uh, his indignities and the types of sufferings, and all of these begin in his trials. So it's in the trials that he's first spit upon. It's in the, trial, it's in the trials that he's first struck it's in the trials that he's 
Uh, he's, he has the purple robes wrapped around him and the crown of thorns pressed on his head and the lashes come forth. And so it's in his trials that the, really the suffering of the cross begins. I mean, I suppose even before the trials in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's crying out in anguish and he's bleeding, uh, 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 sweating drops of blood. But it's in the trial that, that uh, sinful humans start to lay their hands on God himself. And so you see really already in his trials, even, even before the Sanhedrin, you see the beginning of the crucifixion. The first trial that he undergoes um, after his arrest, he's taken by night, and perhaps you'd offer some thoughts on that, by the dead of night, to the high priest's house, where at least the better part of the Sanhedrin, the scribes and the elders of the people, were already waiting for him. Yeah, that's right. They've been plotting this for a while. They've been wanting to get after Jesus. In some ways, you see that this is finally uh, their plot uh, coming together. In a lot of other ways, you see they weren't quite ready for it. But I think just for the sake of outline, this helps in my mind. Um, to When we look at the Scriptures and put them all together, we see that the trials of Jesus uh, occur in five phases. Uh, two Jewish, uh, three um, political or Roman. And the first two, that Jesus is first taken to the house of Annas, who is the father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas, and he's interviewed there before Annas. This seems like it gives them time to gather together the Sanhedrin, the rulers of Israel, the 70. And the Sanhedrin comes from Moses. Remember when Moses was all worn out trying to judge all these court cases, and his father-in-law says, hey, get 70 elders together to hear the cases? That was the Sanhedrin, and this is the same group that now gathers uh, to hear the trial of Jesus in the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Uh, And that goes on uh, all night. It, it, it was illegal, I, my understanding is, that it was illegal to have a trial at night. It was illegal to condemn a person to death on the same day. I mean, there's a lot of things that were illegal according to Jewish law that were happening here. But these guys were doing whatever they, whatever they could uh, to get Jesus the death sentence, to get, to get rid of him, uh, because he was standing as the antithesis of everything that they believed in and everything that they hoped for. They couldn't get him on, well, he's an adulterer. They could have stoned him for that, you know. They couldn't get him on, he's a thief, he's a murderer. None of those other commandments. They go for blasphemy. Well, it is interesting that they try. It seems like the reason why this trial takes all night is because they have witnesses coming in and accusing Jesus. But they're, they're bringing all these false accusations, and they can't get anything to stick. Uh, so at the end, it seems like they may, maybe have got someone because they got two guys to agree that Jesus said, tear the temple down and I'll, I'll build it up in three days. And, and they took that to be, mean that Jesus was going to be some sort of terrorist and, and blow up the, the temple there. Uh, but, but, um, but even on that, they couldn't agree. So then the high priest comes to, comes to Jesus uh, and says, uh, and, and he basically has to get Jesus to condemn himself. I mean, Jesus hadn't said anything. Uh, and so the high priest comes, here, here it is in the text, it says, the high priest put a question to him and said, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus answers and says, I am. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God's power and coming with clouds of heaven. So, so Jesus basically is, is saying, look, you know the, uh, the ancient of days, the prophecy of the Son of Man from the, the prophet Daniel? That's me. And this is enough to condemn him. But it's all, it, I mean, it's really quite stunning that Jesus has to give them the material <laughs> with which they use to condemn him of blasphemy. So the high priest tears his garments. Do we need witnesses? Of course not. I mean, the witnesses weren't doing any good. 
you've heard him blasphemy, and they all agree that now he deserves death. Well, they had already agreed with that, you know, uh, months ago that Jesus had to die. Uh, but now they got, they, they got him pinned. Now, imagine the irony here. The thing that Jesus is going to be condemned for in the Sanhedrin is true. I mean, he is the son of the Blessed One. He is the son of man who will return. On, so that Jesus, is, um, Jesus says that the, gives a true witness about himself, and he's condemned for that. Um, is there some irony also intended in the fact that, at least not, a, not according to every account, but one of the accounts has the high priest saying, I adjure you by the living God. Um, a question of authority, because Jesus is the living God. Later, Pilate will say, you know, I have authority to, to crucify you, release you, and Jesus makes it quite plain. He says, guess who gave you that authority? I did. Yeah. Is there yeah, some irony right. intended there that uh, the oath he is to swear is essentially on himself? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, by the living God, this is the, the living God is standing there in front of him. I mean, all, all of that is really quite, uh, quite amazing. The, the, these men um, who appear so great—the high priest, you know, the greatest of all the uh, the people in Israel—and and Pilate, the great of the greatest of the Romans, Herod, the descendant of Herod the Great, and the ruler of Galilee—you know, all these with their great pomp and 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 worldly power. And before them is standing the Son of God Himself, but He is so clothed in humility that they can't recognize Him, and they can't—they can't see it. That they're, that standing in front of them is their Creator and their Redeemer, uh, and they—and uh, they rage over Him. They accuse Him and and mock Him, strike Him, uh, do things that they would—you would never dare do uh, if you know that this is the—if this is God Himself. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is our guest. We're talking about the trials of Jesus on this Wednesday of Holy Week, April the 16th. We'll talk more about the spitting, the mocking, the striking, the, well, saying, prophesy to us, O Christ, who is it that struck you? We'll be right back. Those beautiful notes were just the beginning of We Praise You and Acknowledge You, O God, Concordia Publishing House's debut CD collection from Pastor Stephen Starkey, one of the most significant Lutheran hymn writers of our time. For a limited time, save 10% when you use promotional code URA. Simply visit cph.org today. Lutheran Thought, Lutheran Substance, Lutheran Music, Brought to you by Concordia Publishing House. Did you know that we send out an email each week that details upcoming show topics? It's available for you to include in your weekly church bulletin. Just click the Issues Etc. Journal logo at our homepage, issuesetc.org, and sign up to receive the church bulletin blurb. It's an easy way to invite your fellow parishioners to listen to Issues Etc. Issuesetc.org. Look for the Issues Etc. Journal logo and register to receive a weekly bulletin paragraph from Issues Etc. Real Reformation Radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. Folks attending last year's Making the Case conference absolutely love the barbecue from Randy's House of Barbecue in Troy and Highland, Illinois. The pork, chicken, ribs, and beef are prepared just like the old days in a pit cooked over hickory, apple, and wild cherry wood. Randy's House of Barbecue, Route 40 and Troy O'Fallon Road in Troy, and at 2649 North Town Way in Highland. Randy's House of Barbecue, 
randysbbq.com. Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church, Albany, Oregon, is a mid-Willamette Valley LCMS congregation where the liturgy lives and God's people worship as one with sound biblical doctrine, weekly communion, and a clear confession of Christ crucified for the sin of the world. Please join us at 2515 Queen Avenue Southeast or visit our website at www.holycrosslutheranalbany.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Wednesday of Holy Week, we're talking about the trials of Jesus. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest. You mentioned this before the break, Brian, but I want you to go into a little more detail. And it's it's not the first time, but I mean, it's not the last time, but it is the first time. This now is the temple guard. It's not the Roman guard. We don't want to put Roman uniforms on these guys. These are the guys who were there to basically keep order in the temple grounds. And these are his fellow Jews are beating on him, striking him, mocking him. Right. It reminds me of what John predicts in the prologue of his gospel. Yeah, his own did not receive him. This is, um, th- this is right. There, there is, um, there's all sorts of culpability uh, as we look through the Passion. There, there are those that seem like they know exactly what they're doing. They, they've seen the miracles of Jesus, and they, they know that he is the Messiah, and for that very reason they're trying to destroy him. Uh, there are others who seem caught up in what's going on here, and uh, maybe the crowds and the and the uh, and the guards are that sort of way. Um, there's a pilot who who it looks to me like he he has enough. Of, he he thinks that Jesus is innocent. That much is clear, but he doesn't have the backbone to stand up and, in fact, put his own name uh, at risk for setting him free and things like this. So there's all sorts of uh, culpability happening. Uh, all, all sorts of levels of guilt um, in in the in the striking of Jesus, but all of it manifests itself chiefly in this mockery or the, what um, what Hebrews calls the shame of the cross. In fact, you know, uh, Luther wrote in his preface to Psalm 22, which you know, that, which is an exposition of the cross and the suffering of Jesus on the cross. It's his prayer from the cross. It's, it's just beautiful. And Luther, in his introduction, says that we have in, in, uh, in Jesus on the cross three kinds of suffering. And the first is the physical suffering, and that's the whole business of, of being nailed to a cross and, and having your lungs filled with fluid and, and the beating and the, and the whipping and all of that sort of stuff. But that's not even really mentioned much in the Gospels. Uh, the second kind of suffering is the suffering that it seems like we hear most of, and that's the suffering that you're talking about. That's the mockery. Where Jesus is struck, you know, slapped on the cheek, he's he's spit upon, he's he's he he has the purple robes put over him, uh, he has the crown of thorns. No doubt that would have been uh, physically painful, but it was meant to to mock him, and and they blindfold him and and say, prophesy who struck you. Perhaps the worst shame of the cross is that um, is that they mock him with saying things like this: He trusted in God, let him save him. So that so that they mock the faith of Jesus, and they mock God. Uh, and Jesus can, can say, uh, in fact, when he's on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he's going to say, yeah, I'm, uh, that, that mockery is true. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's one thing, um, uh, th- I think this is the picture, it'd be one thing for, the, for a small child to be bullied and, and kind of made fun of on the playground, but can you imagine that that child's father is standing there watching, and the, and the child is being mocked, 
and and abused, and and he looks to the father who who should help him, and he just stands there. And this is the the real pain of the mockery of Jesus, and it starts to bleed over into the third type of suffering, which is the spiritual suffering, that Jesus is, in fact, forsaken by God, uh, Psalm 22, and he's smitten, stricken by God, Isaiah 52 and 53. Uh, uh, So those three uh, types of suffering are all heaped on Jesus, uh, beginning in his trials, especially the mockery and the shame begins there. Now, you mentioned that there is, that these these trials, all of them in, in their own ways, are highly irregular. So uh, it appears that the, at least the chief priests in the Sanhedrin are aware of this after their nighttime session, wherein they reach the conclusion that they had already drawn about Jesus, that he's a blasphemer worthy of death. They make it official by holding an official court session as soon as the sun comes up. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the sun comes up, and so they get together, and they say, okay, now we're going to kill him, right? Yeah, let's kill him. And then they move immediately to take him to the praetorium uh, so he can have uh, trial by, by Pilate. And they, and they have to do this because one of the things, that while the Roman government let the Sanhedrin stand to be a court for Jewish uh, issues and affairs, they did take away the right of capital punishment. So if Jesus would have been condemned by the Sanhedrin to, to death and executed by the Sanhedrin, it would have been by, uh, by stoning, the way that the uh, capital punishment is uh, given by Moses. But they, the, the Rome has taken away that privilege uh, for, uh, from the Jews, and so they have to take him to Pilate, the governor, uh, so that he can be actually executed. I've I got to ask about Judas there, because interpolated into the account by one of the Gospel writers is, uh, Judas sees he must be witnessing this in some sense. Um, sees Jesus has been officially condemned by the Sanhedrin that morning. He thinks better of his actions. It says he is sorry, and he takes the money back that they had paid him. And then, oddly enough, these these men who had paid to have Jesus killed or brought to trial so he could be killed are too sanctimonious to put the money back into the temple treasury. Yeah, there's a lot of that sanctimony that is just really thick in the whole account. I mean, you see it when they, for example, won't make themselves unclean by entering into the praetorium, and yet they cry out, His blood be on us and our children. I mean, that's a, a, certainly a way to be unclean. I mean, not only, it's a, it's a way to be murderous. Uh, but ju- the same thing happens. So Judas has this 30 pieces of silver, uh, which was the payment for the bribe, so they could find Jesus. They could never find him. They didn't want to take him when he was in public. But then they didn't ever know where he got to when it was at night. So they, so they needed to figure out where he was. So Judas betrays him. And, and who knows what Judas thought was going to happen. I mean, it seems like Judas says, Oh, I, I didn't know that you were going to kill him. I, I thought you were just going to rough him up a little bit. Uh, or something. I mean, we don't know that. But Judas sees the trial of Jesus and is struck with remorse. The first part of repentance, contrition. He agonizes over his sin, and I suppose he does what you should do when you agonize over your sin. He goes to church. But there's no comfort there. I mean, these these priests there are utterly wicked, and they say, well, we can't accept it. It's blood money. I mean, you're right. It's just ridiculous. They're the ones that paid the money to Judas two days ago. But they can't. Uh, so Judas throws it into the temple, and he runs out, and he, and he um, finds a rope, and he hangs himself. We were at the Passion Play in, in Germany in 2010, and this, the, the, the monologue of Judas was a, a huge, long thing. It was probably 45 minutes as Judas just came undone at, um, 
uh, at, at what he'd done. And then he went, uh, and this is, of course, not in the Scripture artic- artistic interpretation, but Jesus and his disciples would have all, all been wearing stoles, and they would have used that to cover their head when they prayed. Judas takes off his stole and throws it over the branch and hangs himself in a stole. Uh, incredible, incredible sort of thing. So you have two deaths on that day. You have Judas also hung from a tree and Jesus hanging from the tree. Uh, it is a, a stunning difference, and, 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 a, and a tragic sort of thing, because Judas would have been with Jesus the whole time, and then at the end is betrayed, and it was, it was worse off for him, Jesus says, than if he'd ever been born. And, and we see the damage of coming to the first part of repentance, contrition, but not coming to the second, which is faith. So Judas never trusts in Christ, as far as we know, and dies despairing of any hope at all. Pontius Pilate is, um, he is, he's the Roman Empire, you know, in that place. He is the, he's the, he's the emperor's voice in that place, and he happens to be in the city. He didn't spend most of his time in the city, actually, like Caesarea Philippi a lot better, Um, but he spends his time in Jerusalem because he's afraid something bad's going to happen this weekend, and something terrible ends up happening that weekend. Talk about Pilate's role in all of this. Yeah, I, this took me a little while to figure out the history of this. I just never have been that good at it. But you know, Herod the Great was—he um, was the king when Jesus was born, and he ruled over the whole place uh, from Galilee all the way down to the Gulf. And he—he uh, he, uh, he was called by the Romans the King of the Jews. Well, he dies, and he splits the land up into three parts: the Tetrarchy, and so you have Judea, and then you have North in the Galilee, and then you have in the South. Uh, and his two of his sons still ruled in the north in Galilee, that was Herod, and then Philip down in the south. But whoever it was, I can't remember the third boy uh, who was in Judea, just was not successful at all. So Rome took him out and put in a governorship, and that's how Pilate's office uh, came about, to rule there uh, in Judea. And it seems like there was a quite a history of these governors coming into Judea, that this was not an easy job, and that Pilate himself uh, is... You know, you don't have a lot of job security when you're the governor of Judea. Uh, so he wants to be pretty careful with this. Uh, and especially when Jerusalem would swell up at these times, great festivals. I mean, it would double, triple, quadruple in size. Uh, you're going to want to be there uh, in case things go wrong. And he, he also was making a celebrity appearance. It seems like he had this custom, uh, kind of an American idol sort of thing, that on the Passover he would release, he would pardon someone. Uh, instead of executing him, he would let him go. And it was the custom to do that for whoever the, the people chose. So I, I think the crowds who gathered that day uh, would have gathered for this choice, because it was his custom, the text says, to release to, to them which one they wanted, so that the people would come and vote for who they wanted set free. And so Pilate had to be in town to oversee that, that, um, that pardoning uh, as well. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest on this Wednesday afternoon of Holy Week. We're talking about the trials of Jesus. He's pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, and general editor of Around the Word Journal. You can find out more about Around the Word Journal at our website, issuesetc.org. Dr. Rod Rosenblatt, co-host of the national radio show, The White Horse Inn, on the uniqueness of Issues Etc. Issues Etc. presents Jesus Christ and His saving work out of the text of the Bible. 
The teaching of Christ alone is the driving force of this program. It deals with the important issues of our time with carefully chosen guests and hosts who are knowledgeable in the scriptures, history, and their application. On issues etc., you will not hear pop evangelicalism, but confessional Lutheran theology fluently presented. You can support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by making a tax-deductible gift today. Donate online at issuesetc.org, or you can donate by check. Lutheran Public Radio, Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. A Voice in the Wilderness of American Evangelicalism, Issues Etc. Thanks for your support. Imagine SteadfastLutherans.org as the Internet version of your neighborhood pub your neighborhood confessional Lutheran pub, that is, where the finest in Lutheran conversation is going on at every table and at the bar, sometimes contentious, but always informative and unabashedly Lutheran. We're only serving Wittenberg Ale. We even have a guy named Norm. So check us out, www.steadfastlutherans.org. We'll save a seat at the bar for you. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. You're listening to Issues Etc. Christ at the Center, The Justification of the Ungodly, A Contemporary View of Faith and Reason, The Holy Spirit in Christ. These are just some of the almost 30 essays included in Propter Christum, Christ at the Center. It's a new book of essays in honor of Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Daniel Preuss. Find out more and purchase Propter Christum at shop.logia.org. Propter Christum, Christ at the Center, shop.logia.org. Ah, the sounds of rich liturgy and historic Christian worship. What a way to spend a Sunday morning. At Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois, you'll find authentic Christianity as you hear the preaching of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins. Come. Join us Sunday mornings at 9 and Monday evenings at 7.30 and find out more about Trinity Lutheran Church, Millstadt, Illinois at trinitymillstadt.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about the trials of Jesus with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller on this Wednesday of Holy Week. Brian, the next trial, the next phase of the trial, so to speak, takes place before Pilate. You mentioned Pilate before the break. They, the charge among the Jew, in the Jewish trial is blasphemy. That's the only one they end up getting to stick. What is the charge in the Roman trial? I'll read it for you from the text, and then I'd break it into three parts. Uh, it says this, the, the charges they brought against him were, we found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding us to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So you have a threefold uh, accusation, that he was perverting the nation, forbidding tax-paying to Caesar, and saying that he was, um, that he was Christ, the king. And it's really that third one that's going to stick, he, he, that he is the Christ. Uh, now, they try, it, it is an interesting thing. It seems like this 
forbidding people to pay taxes is was something they had already planned on, because already on Holy Tuesday, Jesus, at his last debate with the Pharisees in the temple, his last public teaching at all, um, he has a, they ask, come to ask three questions to trick him, and one of them is, um, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus does, you know, he takes the coin, and whose image is it? And uh, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God's what is God's. He, he doesn't fall for their trap, but it seems like they had that already in the in line to bring the accusation, so they're just going to bring it anyways. They don't, they don't care. Uh, perverting the nation, it was um, uh, that Jesus uh, was uh, changing things. There was great crowds going to see him, and people were listening to him, uh, all for the good, of course. I mean, everyone who listened to Jesus and believed Jesus, was things were better for them, but, but not for the Pharisees. They had a really sweet gig going, and Jesus changing the theology from law to gospel was really messing up their thing. But this third accusation, that he called himself Christ a king, is, is really what the entirety of the, um, of the trial before Pilate is going to consist, this, this discussion of king and having a kingdom, etc. Now, now, at first, uh, Pilate seems to kind of take the small view of this king thing, where he's like, so you think you're the king of the Jews, not, no rival to Caesar, please. You know, you think you're the king of the Jews. Later, they're going to press him on it and say, hey, if you say he's the king, if you, would, if you let him get away with saying he's a king, then you're no friend to Caesar's. Now, um, I was reading recently, Brian, a, a bit of history on this, and I wonder what your thoughts are. Um, the word king was loaded in Roman history because <laughs> the, the reason that uh, Julius Caesar got murdered was because people thought he was going to make himself the king. They didn't care if he was the dictator or the emperor, but they didn't want a king. King meant not Roman. It meant going back to the old Roman Republic. Um, and it seems to me that Pilate, that's what finally scares, scares him into giving in. Um, when, he, when they realize, no, we're not talking king of the Jews. We're saying that this guy wants to rival Caesar. Yeah, that's right. But, well, that, it is interesting because, I mean, you have the same thing at the beginning of the Gospel. It's when Herod the Great hears, uh, where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the West that he kind of goes nuts and kills all the babies in Bethlehem. Uh, now that might be out of bitterness and rivalry, but you do get this uh, idea that the, the 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 Sanhedrin here have some wiliness. They know the buttons to push. They know the buttons to push with each other. They know the buttons to push with Pilate. They know the buttons to push with the crowd. And this is the button for Pilate. Uh, this king button. Now it's 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 completely hypocritical because they they they're going to also cry out for the release of Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist. I mean, he, he, wa- he truly was an enemy of, of Rome and an enemy of the state. And yet they're going to cry out for his release, which would have been trouble if, if it got back to Rome, that they're releasing an insurrectionist, a, a murderer of Roman soldiers, uh, and an uh, enemy of the state of Rome. That's not going to go well. Uh, so, so they, you know, they're trying to play both sides of the, of the same coin here. But it is, they, they know that if, if Pilate is going to do something, it's going to be out of fear, because they can't rightly accuse Jesus. Now, at the end of his brief conversation with Jesus over what Jesus means by being a king, my kingdom is not of this world, Pilate just goes out and says, look, I'm sorry, guys, none of your charges stick. I find no fault in this man. That's what, right. What's he saying there? 
Yeah, I mean, that, um, you know, Pilate can see through this, and in fact, later we're going to have the note that he knew that the Pharisees, the, the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and Sadducees here, the chief priests, they hand Jesus over because of jealousy. So Pilate can see through that this whole thing is a sham, but he's still now being pressured. That, that, that's not going to change them. They're, they're going to pressure uh, a Pilate. If they can't do it through uh, reason and a right trial, which of course isn't possible, then they're going to resort to trickery and to violence. But Pilate, all the way through, I mean, I think this is really interesting, that you, there's no way that Pilate wants Jesus to die. I mean, all sorts of things happen to indicate that. He, at the end, he's going to wash his hands in a, in a, in a bowl of water. The, the Lord, it seems like, gives a, gives a dream to his wife, who sends a warning, and says, don't have anything to do with this man. Uh, over and over, Pilate is doing everything. He, he tries to pawn him off to Herod. Uh, Pilate doesn't think Jesus should die. But in the end, we say in the Creed every single day, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Because Pilate did have the authority to let him go, and he didn't. I mean, he, he, he became passive in the whole thing, and by that passivity, he becomes guilty. And, 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 and the reason, then, that Jesus dies. Now, you said he pawned him off on Herod. He attempts to get to change jurisdictions, but the Gospel writers kind of make it sound like that was... A waste of time entirely. Jesus wouldn't even answer anything Herod wanted to know. Yeah, that's right. Herod seems like he wants to see Jesus because he wants to see him do a trick, you know, perform a miracle or something. And Herod seems to just be this kind of decadent, uh, kind of a little bit loony sort of guy. And Jesus doesn't even give him the res- the respect of of saying a single thing to him. So uh, Herod and his soldiers mock him and send Jesus back. What's the splendid uh, robe thing that Herod does to Pilate? Yeah, yeah there a couple of times Jesus gets these robes on, because, he, because here's this trial, the king of the Jews, and, and that title looked so obnoxious. Uh, looking at this man Jesus, the last thing you would think is that he was a king. And so to pile on robes and to put a staff in his hand and do this sort of thing, is a is a further mockery, uh, the, the sign of this great humility of our Lord. In fact, I think there's really quite something here. Is when uh, after Jesus comes back from Herod, he he goes to Pilate, and Pilate has him scourged, and and he he puts a purple robe on him, and he has a crown of thorns and a staff in his hand, and he brings him out before the people, seemingly one last chance to gain their sympathy. Look, I've already whipped the man, and normally you would never crucify someone that you've whipped. Uh, crucifixion, you want, you want that to last for a long time. So you want to be strong going into it so they can hang on the cross for days. Uh, so you never have a scourging in a, in a crucifixion, at least not that I know of, on, on the same time. So here he's been scourged, and he, and he put, puts Jesus up in front of him and says, Behold the man, uh, to try one last chance to, uh, to gain the sympathy of the crowd. And it doesn't work. They cry out, uh, Crucify him, crucify him. And, and I think that image is perhaps one of the most profound in the Scripture. I mean, if you were just walking along in Jerusalem, and you were a stranger, and you didn't know what's going on, and you come across this scene, and here you have two men. You have Pilate, who has this palace, this authority. You know, his wife is there. Uh, everyone is looking to him. He has wealth and fame and, and comfort. And then, and then next to him is this, is this man being mocked and tried and beaten and bloodied, and just destroyed, and you say, okay, uh, you're going to follow one of these guys. Who's it going to be? <laughs> I mean, you just look at it, and you say, no way are you going to follow Jesus. 
that 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 is the one that you want to follow that that's the one you want to become a disciple of i mean there's no there's absolutely no way that you would come and and and, and have any sort of uh envy of what christ is going through that that is the depth of his humiliation that he is that he is utterly abased and shamed here in all of these trials barabbas you mentioned him earlier he's a murderer and an insurrectionist i think that was a crossworthy uh, crime. I think right. Pilate could have had him crucified. Does Barabbas, he gets his sentence commuted to time served rather than suffering the cross. Um, so the guy who should have been crucified gets to go free. Yeah, I mean, there is something when the when we read the, uh, the account of Barabbas, I mean, we read it politically, we read the shenanigans of the Sanhedrin and all of this, but then we, if we read it devotionally, it is quite amazing that uh, that we are Barabbas. <laughs> I mean, it should be uh, you, Todd, and me, and all of our listeners. That cross belongs to us, and that shame and that nakedness and that whip and the scourge and the crown of thorns and the uh, and the darkness and the anger of God—all uh, of that belongs to us. Every single bit of it. And yet, Jesus, the innocent one, takes it in our place, and we are commuted. Uh, we are set free. We, we are, our sentence uh, is given over to another. And it is a, a beautiful picture of comfort, exactly what Jesus is doing there. We'll take another break when we come back another 10 minutes with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller on this Wednesday afternoon talking about the trials of Jesus. And after our conversation on that subject concludes in Hour 2, Pastor Will Whedon will join us. And in advance of Good Friday this Holy Week, we will talk about the liturgy of Good Friday. I'm Todd Wilkins. Stay tuned. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by joining the Issues Etc. 300. Our Savior Lutheran Pacifica, California. Messiah Lutheran Danville, California. Faith Lutheran Capistrano Beach, California, Grace Lutheran San Mateo, California, Our Savior Lutheran Grand Rapids, Michigan, St. Paul Lutheran Hamill, Illinois, St. Paul Lutheran Brookfield, Illinois, Grace Lutheran Racine, Wisconsin, St. John's Lutheran Mayville, Wisconsin, Prince of Peace Lutheran Crestwood, Missouri, Faith Lutheran Plano, Texas, St. Paul Lutheran Austin, Texas, University Hills Lutheran Denver, Colorado, St. John Lutheran Topeka, Kansas, Peace Lutheran, Alma, Michigan, Zion Lutheran, Imperial, Nebraska, and Trinity Lutheran, St. Charles, Missouri. Find out how your church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Support, the Issues Etc. 300. The cross is our theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Come and experience firsthand by sitting down in classes and actually hearing professors. Coming to chapel, which is always the high point of the day, to hear the Word of God and to lift our voices in song. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Paul Grimm on why you should consider visiting Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Spend time talking to professors. I mean, there's not a professor here who will not be willing to, to take time, whether it's after chapel during the coffee hour or just to come into one's study and, and sit down and talk for a while to answer questions, to you know, help them to get a sense of, A, you know, do they want to be a pastor or a deaconess? 
and then B, is this the right place? And well, maybe C would be the question, is now the right time for them to make that decision? If you've contemplated the vocation of pastor or deaconess, contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or send an email to admission at ctsfw.edu. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about the trials of Jesus on this Wednesday of Holy Week. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is our guest. We've got a great Issues Etc. book of the month for this month. It's a book on apologetics called Making the Case for Christianity. Here's some of the topics in there, defending the existence of God, the reliability of the New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, Christian particularity, the problem of evil, and Christianity's cultural legacy. You will not regret getting this book called Making the Case for Christianity, The Issues, Etc., Book of the Month for April. Find out more about it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order the book, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Brian, uh, we talked about the release of Barabbas. Pilate seems to grow increasingly agitated. You mentioned his wife chimes in. I don't know what she dreamed or what she wants him to do, but it adds to his frustration. He repeatedly says to the chief priests and the crowds, this man is innocent. I find nothing worthy of death in him. He's done nothing worthy of death. It sounds like he's, he sees the truth in spite of himself. That's right. That's right. I mean, it is. You do see this. Pilate even changes just throughout the, the the. He seems like he's kind of jaded, and oh yeah, King of the Jews, and oh yeah, what is truth? You know how that goes at the beginning, but then at the end, and and the and the the Jews will will um, the accusers will jump on, um, and as they keep piling on the accusations of Jesus, they finally will get kind of let it slip, uh, and they say. We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And Pilate says, "Whoa!" And he and he goes and has a, another interview with Jesus and says, "Who, who are you?" Uh, um, this really uh, gets Pilate worried. Um, and and he, you're right. I mean, it seems like everything he's going to try to do to change their mind. But in the end, his his failure to change the mind of the crowds. I mean, he sees the thing, he even says it, the pilot sees that this whole thing is turning into a kind of a, a mob. It, it's about to be, break out into a riot. He says, uh, um, I, have, I have two things to, that I can do. I can hand over Jesus, the innocent man, uh, to be crucified, or I can uh, uh, let Jesus go and, and suffer the, the violence of all these sorts of people. And even in that, we see that Jesus... <laughs> Jesus is going to death. It's like what Caiaphas, the high priest, said. It's better for one man to die than for all the people to die. So, so even Jesus going to death brings an end to the violence of the crowd there, too. I mean, everything that Jesus is doing here uh, is for the benefit of all those around him. I mean, he, his, his very first words on the cross are, that, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He, he's praying for the men who are, who are nailing him to the cross. Just incredible. Uh, and we see that in this uh, in this last bit of the trial as well. The only line, and they repeat it again and again and again, that the crowds eventually have, uh, getting closer to the sentence, is simply crucify him, and they repeat it six or seven times. Right. Um, 
your thoughts on what it would have taken for the Jews who had had to see crucifixion as the ultimate sign of Rome's dominion and the ability to do as they please, to say, yeah, crucify this Jew. We want to see this Jew crucified. Yeah, that's a, that's an astounding point. Crucifixion, you remember, was not—it um, was only for foreigners. No Roman citizen could be crucified. It was, it was below the dignity of a citizen of Rome to be crucified. Uh, they had other forms of actually, I don't even know what they were, but they weren't crucifixion. So that to, to be crucified was the death of a slave. And the fact that they could crucify the Jews was a constant reminder that they were under Roman rule. So this place of the skull where they would crucify, you know, is on the way into town. So anytime you're leaving town, anytime you're coming into town, here's a guy hanging there, uh, wailing in agony with his, with his, uh, sentence written above him, you know, thief or adulterer or, or, or murderer, insurrectionist or whatever. It's so written above them, and they're walking through, and they would, I mean, they would first of all be warned that they better not do that in Jerusalem. But then secondly, they would, exactly as you said, they would be reminded that they do not govern themselves, uh, that they are uh, this thing that they loathed, being, having Caesar uh, as their lord is, um, uh, is uh, just a, a great bitterness to them. And yet, it doesn't matter. It, 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 to, to cry out crucifixion, they're, they're so filled with rage and wrath at this point uh, that it's, it's almost like you just imagine uh, a, a pack of wild dogs trying to get to a cage. Uh, they're so bloodthirsty that all they can think is that they want this man's blood. They, they, this Jesus has to die. And it's, and it's, in a way, true. I mean, he does have to die. That's what he was born for so that he would die, uh, and his death would set us free uh, and forgive all of our sins. Finally, uh, you've mentioned it before, but finally, Pilate, it says, sees he's getting nowhere. This is futile. Rather, a riot is underway. He washes his hands, and these are his words. I am innocent of the blood of this man. See to it yourselves. And the response is what, Brian? His blood be on us and on our children. I mean, this is, what an unbelievable thing. I mean, you talk about the craziness of a crowd of, of, of Jews crying out for a crucifixion. For a crowd of Jews to cry out for blood to be on them. This is even more astonishing. I mean, and more uh, uh, shameful and surprising that they would invite this uncleanliness on them. Uh, and, and it doesn't even make sense. I mean, I was working on this text today, and maybe you have something on this, but why, why? I mean, it is one thing to say, his blood be on us, we'll take the guilt. But they say, and on our children, too. It's just, it's almost as if an insanity has taken a hold of this crowd. And sure enough, I suppose that's the case, that any sort of, to, 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 to not believe in Christ, the insanity of unbelief, has kind of reached its fullness here. Uh, but, and, and God be praised for this, at the same time that, that the insanity of unbelief, that the rage of the devil, and that the wrath of God reach their fullness, we also see the, the love of God at its fullness, and, and his mercy and his kindness. Because all of this rage, crucify, crucify, and all of this stuff, ends up with the greatest act of love that the world, the universe, has ever seen and ever will see. That God himself, in our flesh, but bearing our sin, uh, dying for us, uh, and in some sort of way, we're brought at the end to rejoicing in, in all of this, in the cry of crucifixion, and in the madness and rage of the people. 
uh, and of the submission of Jesus to their false accusations. Because all of this is really, um, it, it is our salvation. We've talked about the trials and their details with about a minute here, Brian, to conclude. Um, Jesus says of this in advance, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my, unaccord, my own accord. How does that shape the way we should understand the trials of our Lord? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I remember taking a big group to see The Passion of the Christ when it first came out. I haven't seen it since. That's probably been 10 years now. But, uh, but uh, we, we left and we said, now, how do you feel about that? And, and this whole big group of college kids, they said, I just feel absolutely miserable because all of that that Jesus suffered was for me. It's because of my sins. And that's true. I mean, if you did not sin, Jesus would not be dying. If we did not sin. But to die on the cross for our sins is precisely what Jesus wants to do. He, he like you said, he did not lay down his life. Uh, it's not taken from him. He lays it down of his own accord so that he may take it up again. And he lays it down of his own accord because Jesus has decided that he would rather have the wrath of God and the, and the, and the three hours of hell and the, and the full assault of the world and his own flesh and the devil that he would rather have the, the striking of God and, the, and, and, and all of that wrath and you than to not have it. So that Jesus suffers all of this willingly so that he could call us his friends, that he, for, he can forgive our sins, and he, can, and he can promise us eternal life. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, co-host of a weekly radio show, called Table Talk Radio, and he's general editor of Around the Word Journal. Brian, thank you so much. Have a blessed Holy Week and Easter. You too, Todd, and all your listeners. Folks, if you appreciate Issues Etc., Christ-centered, cross-focused talk radio, please consider making a tax-deductible donation during this Holy Week. You can contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc., Send it to Issues Etc., Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Here's the address again, Issues Etc., Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online gift at our website, issuesetc.org. As always, thanks for your support and thanks for listening. Up next in hour two on this Wednesday afternoon, April the 16th, Pastor Will Whedon will join us. We'll talk about the liturgy for Good Friday in advance of the Church's celebration of that day. Well, the real trial, these are real trials. They, they do what they need to do. But the trial that Jesus will suffer that is the culmination of his redemptive work for us is there on the cross. When Pilate's done with him, when Herod's done with him, when the Sanhedrin is done with him, he still has to face his father. He has to face his Father, willingly bearing the sins of the world, knowing full well that what that cross means is his Father's death sentence, his Father's judgment, ultimately being forsaken for a time by his Father. But he also knows this, and this is why St. Paul can say, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. He also knows that that Father's verdict against our sin and the penalty meted out against him, the punishment for our sins that he will suffer there at the cross, is not his Father's final word. He knows that although he bears our sins, he goes to the cross innocent. He knows that although he goes to die, he is the resurrection and the life. He knows 
that in three days he will be declared innocent and through him the whole world declared innocent. He will be vindicated in his resurrection. I'm Todd Wilkin. More issues, etc. after this break. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Lutheran Public Radio, P.O. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Christianity has so much influence our culture that we take it for granted and think it was always that way. Dr. Alvin Schmidt talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. And if you move into one of the Mideastern countries where primarily the theology of Islam operates, you can see the influence of what Christianity has had on our culture. Yet, we tend not really quite to, how shall I say, realize it and appreciate it. And once in a while, we need to be reminded. You can meet and hear Dr. Alvin Schmidt making the case for Christianity's positive impact on civilization June 13th and 14th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference.